Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, Lord, again, that we have the opportunity to study together. And I just want to pray that you please be with all of us, that you'd guide us, that you'd lead us, and that more than anything else, that you would speak to us, that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking clearly through, through and above the noise and din of this earth, that, Lord, we might be able to discern your voice and your leading today. Please guide us now, O Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The abomination of desolation. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, Jesus is going through last day events. He's giving us a picture of what would happen. There'll be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Even our day today is a picture, a microscope, a microcosm of what's going to take place at the end of time, but to a greater degree. This only is the beginning of sorrows, friends. It's going to get much worse. I'm not a doom and gloom person. People call me pessimistic and so I am. But friends, the Bible paints a very clear picture about what is to come at the end of times. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 24 and verse 15. Jesus says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. It is here that Jesus introduces this topic of the abomination of desolation. And it's interesting that he says what? Whoever reads, let him understand. Yet many confused are confused today about this very topic. And Jesus, he references Daniel. That's where we're going to be going in, in a minute, in a little while. But before we go there, we need to understand why it is so important for us to understand today. How does this reference our time? Let's continue reading in Matthew 24, line upon line, remember. Matthew 24, and now verse 16. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, then in verse 16 it says, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Friends, when we study Matthew 24, what we are seeing is dual application. You've got to remember this, dual application. Because when you go to the beginning of Matthew 24, the disciples come to Jesus and they were showing him the magnificence of the temple that was rebuilt. It wasn't as great as Solomon's temple, but it was still a beauty to behold. And yet Jesus shocked the disciples by saying what? Not even one stone would be left on top of another. Not even one stone. And then he says what? He was so shocked the disciples come to him and ask him, when will these things be? The destruction of this temple and of the end of the world. So what Jesus did in only his wisdom that he could do was as he spoke, he mingled these two events together. And we are going to see its primary application 
and then it's end time application to us today. But it was so urgent. When you would see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, you better get down from the roof. Don't even go back into your house. Just run. If you're in the field, don't even go back to get your clothes. Just run. Do you see that? The command was urgent, but it was dependent upon us understanding what the abomination of desolation would be. Let's turn our Bibles to Luke. Yes, we're going to go to Daniel eventually. Jesus is the one that tells us to. But let's go to Luke chapter 21. This is where we find the parallel verses to this. Luke 21, we also find it in Mark. But Luke 21, we want to specially look into. What is the abomination of desolation? Here is those similar verses starting in verse 20. Luke 21 verse 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation is nigh. This is the abomination of desolation. How do we know? Verse 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out of it, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. Friends, this is exactly the same description that is given in Matthew 24, 15 and onwards, here in Luke 21. But what is this desolating power? What was the abomination of desolation? We found it back there in verse 20. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed about with armies. This was the desolating power that would come and surround Jerusalem and eventually destroy it in around AD 70. This was the Roman armies that would come and surround Jerusalem and destroy them. Look, I want to read to you from the pen of inspiration found here in Great Controversy, page 25, paragraph 4. Great Controversy, page 25, paragraph 4. Jesus declared to the listening disciples the judgments that were to fall upon apostate Israel, and especially the retributive vengeance that would come upon them for their rejection and crucifixion of the Messiah. Unmistakable signs would precede the awful climax. The dreaded hour would come suddenly and swiftly. And the Savior warned His followers, When you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. When the idolatrous standards of the Romans, this is the Roman armies, should be set up in the holy ground, which extended some furlongs outside the city walls, then the followers of Christ were to find safety in flight. When the warning sign should be seen, those who would escape must make no delay. Throughout the land of Judea, as well as in Jerusalem itself, the signal for flight must be immediately obeyed. He who chanced to be upon the housetop must not go down into his house, even to save his most valued treasures. Those who were working in the vineyards 
of fields or vineyards must not take time to return for the outer garment laid aside while they should be toiling in the heat of the day. They must not hesitate a moment lest they be involved in the general destruction. Friends, we see very clearly who it was. And we know from history and we see it even in the Bible in Luke. We already studied it. What was the abomination? It was the Roman armies that came and they surrounded Jerusalem and they were standing upon what the Jews considered holy ground. It extended some distance beyond the walls of Jerusalem. And so when they saw, saw the army standing there with their idolatrous standards, you know, they, they would hold flags and, and those banners that would represent their gods. They were coming in their pagan gods and they would be standing on the holy ground. That is what the Jews considered what? Abomination. And Jesus said, when you see this, flee. Wait a minute. If they were surrounded, how were they able to flee? Let's continue reading Great Controversy. Now we are over in page 30, paragraph 2. Look at this. Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Christ had given His disciples warning, and all who believed His words watched for the promised sign. When ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, said Jesus, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out. After the Romans under Cestius, who? Cestius, had surrounded the city, they unexpectedly abandoned the siege when everything seemed favorable for an immediate attack. The besieged despairing of successful resistance, were on the point of surrender when the Roman general, Cestius, withdrew his forces without the least apparent reason. But God's merciful providence was directing events for the good of His own people. The promised sign had been given to the waiting Christians, and now an opportunity was offered for all who would to obey the Savior's warning. Events were so overruled that neither Jews nor Romans should hinder the flight of the Christians upon the retreat of Cestius. The Jews, sallying from Jerusalem, pursued after his retiring army. And while both forces were thus fully engaged, the Christians had an opportunity to leave the city. At this time, the country also had been cleared of enemies who might have endeavored to intercept them. At the time of the siege, the Jews were assembled at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and thus the Christians throughout the land were able to make their escape unmolested. Without delay, they fled to a place of safety, the city of Pella in the land of Peria beyond Jordan. Friends, there is a very clear significance and lesson that we're going to learn from this today. But as we have studied here so far, this abomination of desolation represented the Roman armies that would come and surround Jerusalem and they would stand there overlooking Jerusalem on the ground that the Jews considered holy. Who came at first? His name was Cestius. Cestius was a Roman general and he was leading the armies at around 80... I've read different reports, 64 all the way to 66. I've always believed it was 66. But around AD 66, 
the Roman armies would come and surround Jerusalem ready for a favorable attack. The Jews were ready to surrender and give up, but all of a sudden, the Roman armies retreated, okay? And as they retreated, the Jews gaining confidence would run after them and attack them and almost destroy them, and they would be more bold, more bold in defiance against God and against the second time that the Roman armies would come in AD 70 with Titus as their general. And we know that it is at that time that Jerusalem would be totally destroyed. Not even one stone would be left on top of another. Friends, those that saw the warning the first time, they retreated very quickly. They didn't even go back into the house. And Ellen White said, not even one Christian perished. Not even one. We're going to come back to this. But what is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet? Let's go over to Daniel chapter 9. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. I only have on screen the quotes from the pen of inspiration of Ellen White. But please follow along with me in your Bibles. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. This is probably the clearest link that we have to Daniel. We also see it in a few other places and we'll look at them, okay? But Daniel 9 verse 27, the Bible says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. I am sorry, friends, I am not going back to study the whole of the 70-week prophecy in Daniel 9 and the 2,300-day prophecy in Daniel 8. But this is where it is referenced. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. This is the prophecy of Jesus dying after three and a half years of ministry in around AD 30. He will cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. When he said it is finished, the veil was ripped from top to bottom, thus signifying that the sanctuary and all its services will be done away with. And then it says, And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. What is those abominations? You know, when the Jews cried out, His blood be upon our our shoulders and upon our children and our children's children. They pronounce a curse upon themselves when they crucified Jesus Christ. And truly, 40 years later, the Roman armies would come around and destroy them. But friends, this is not the only abomination of desolation that it is referring to. What else and where else do we see it? Let's go in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 13. Daniel 8 verse 13, the Bible says this, And I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning what? The, tra the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. What was the daily and the transgression of desolation. Here we see it's not abomination of desolation, but it's very, very similar. Transgression is an abomination. Transgression of desolation. What is transgression? And this 
group is treading underfoot God's sanctuary and His people, it must be a bad power, is a desolating power. What is transgression related to? Usually in the Bible, we connect it with sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. Who is the transgression of desolation? Well, it is the man of sin. Spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's turn our Bibles there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're looking at verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Look at this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Verse 4 who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He is trying to replace God. He wants to take the worship that is due only and alone to God and God alone. Friends, this is the man of sin. This is the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. So what is this abomination of desolation speaking about? The Antichrist, the papacy. How do I know? Let's turn our Bibles to another text. Let's go back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. How do we know that this is referring to the Antichrist? Daniel 11 and verse 31. Look at this. And arms shall stand on his part. Friends, I'm sorry, I cannot go through Daniel 11. In fact, I think one of the first studies we did was on Daniel 11. Please go back there around March time. I have a whole Sabbath school lesson dedicated to Daniel chapter 11. Please go back and study this and go through this. But arms shall stand on his part. Who was given armies? All these other kingdoms that ever existed before, they have their own armies. There was only one kingdom that would be given an army. It was the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. Whose sanctuary is that? That is the Roman sanctuary, the sanctuary of strength. And they'll take away the daily and they shall place in its place the abomination that maketh what? Desolate. Who is that? It was the rise of the Antichrist in 538 AD when it would be given armies and it would begin to rule as a desolating power. Armies would stand on its part. Arms would stand on its part. This was the abomination. But friends, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place you got to flee to the mountains. Yes, this is referring to the Catholic Church. We see it here in Daniel 11, the abomination that maketh desolate. Let's also go to Revelation chapter 17. Look at this. Revelation chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 4. Look at this. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with precious gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of what? Abominations 
and filthiness of a fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and what? Abominations of the earth. Friends, it is very clear who this power is that the Bible is referring to as the abomination of desolation. Abomination is referring to this woman who commits fornication with the kings of the earth and causes the whole world to drink of the wine of her fornication. That, my friends, sounds like an abomination. Is she a desolating power as well? If you continue reading in Revelation 17, verse 6, she's drunk with the blood of the martyrs and of the saints. But friends, I want to dig a bit deeper into what is this abomination? Where else do we see the Bible speak of abomination? It's very clear here that she is that abomination. But when is it that we have to flee to the mountains? Okay, Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 30. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 30. Let's go there. What else is abomination connected to? Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 30. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to what? Pollute it. What were the children of Israel doing? They were bringing their idols into God's house, and they were worshipping idols there. That was what was happening in Jeremiah's day. Now let's go to Ezekiel chapter 5. Let's turn our Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 5. What is an abomination? They were bringing idols in, and they were worshipping it in God's holy sanctuary. Ezekiel chapter 5 and verse 11. Ezekiel 5 and verse 11. Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord, wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely, because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things and with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee Neither shall mine eye spare thee, neither will I have what? Any pity. You know, it is also because of this reason that Babylon was allowed to come and conquer and bring the Jews and the Israelites into captivity because they were doing all these things, abominable practices. They were bringing in their idols into the holy sanctuary of God. Could you believe that? Let's also read Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 20. Let's turn the Bibles there. Ezekiel 7, 20, the Bible says, As for the beauty of his ornament, he set it in majesty, but they made their images of their abominations and of their detestable things therein. Therefore have I set it far from them. Friends, what was happening? Idolatry was being introduced. Idol worship. An idol coming in. And their, their gods that were worshipping of wood and of stone, they were bringing into God's holy sanctuary and in His tabernacle and worshipping them right there. Do you see that? You know, Solomon, he was really the main culprit behind this, but he was the, 
one of the first to do this. He's the one that introduced abominations into Israel. Let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 5. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 5. Let's turn the Bibles there. 1 Kings 11 verse 5, the Bible says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. He was the principal one. Why? Because he married all these strange women. Do you see that? Strange women from other countries who worshipped idolatrous gods. The first woman that he married was an Egyptian, and she got converted. So he thought he was smart enough that he could start converting all these wives. But you know what would eventually happen, my dear friends? He would eventually start bowing down to all these idols. He would eventually start worshipping all these idols of his wives. He was the principal one. And, you know, friends, sometimes we think we know better than God. You know, what does woman represent in the Bible? Church. Church. And we see a king marrying all these strange women from different other churches. Friends, does it matter who we marry? Absolutely it does. It absolutely does. We got to be careful that we think we're smarter than God and we know better than His Word to go against His counsel about the sort of persons that we should be marrying in these last days. Friends, you need a, a wife or a husband that can uphold you in prayer, that when you're down, that they can strengthen you. Do you know that? You need someone who's walking with Jesus, who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you have these similar practices such as your diet, the Sabbath. They believe in the sanctuary. Friends, they got to be of the same denomination is what I'm saying. They got to be of the same denomination. We got to be careful that we don't think we're smarter than God, that we know better than Him. Friends, this is where faith must come in. Lord, you know better than I. But you know, at the end of time, at the end of time, where do we see this abomination of desolation? It has come in, but we are not fleeing today. Where do we see this abomination of desolation? What was abomination related to? Idol worship, right? Do we see an idol in the book of Revelation? Absolutely. Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to start there in verse 14. Revelation chapter 13, reading from verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth. So what happens? Let me give you some context. It seems like it starts out in the middle of nowhere, right? USA, that second beast that comes up out of the earth, he's going to make fire come down from heaven and he's going to deceive them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make what? An image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. If you want to understand what the image of the beast is, you have to go through the study in Revelation. I'm sorry, I don't have time to go through all of this here this morning, but we see an image at the end of time. Do you see that? And look what happens, verse 15. 
And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Friends, do you know what the mark of the beast is related to? When the image of the beast begins to speak, then if you don't worship, you'll be killed. If you don't receive the mark of the beast, you will be killed. Do you know what that is? I think many of us, we understand what that is. That is referring to the Sunday law at the end of time. So let me just take one step back. People on earth will make an image, but it's not speaking yet. Do you understand that? When it begins to speak, that is what we call Sunday law. If you want to flee at that time, it's too late, friends. It's too late. That, that time is equivalent to back then in AD 70 when Titus came and surrounded the city. No one could leave. It was too late. The fleeing had to be done before that. Do you understand that? The mark of the beast time is equivalent to AD 70 when Titus surrounds Jerusalem ready to destroy it, and he does destroy it. Everybody that perishes at that time, none of them were Christians, Ellen White says. The setting up of the image of the beast, that is the time that we have to flee. Are you with me? The setting up of the image of the beast is the time that we must flee. The beast has not spoken, the image of the beast has not spoken yet, but the image itself is set up. It's Sunday worship. Now look, Sunday worship is, has been around since the beginning of time. There's always been two class of followers. Are you with me? Since Cain. Then you get to the Tower of Babel. The, the spirit of Babylon has always been around. But what we are talking about here in Revelation 13 is not the mark of the beast, but it is a time before the mark of the beast because this is a time to start running. This is the time. At the mark of the beast, it's too late. They'll just close off the roads, just like what they're doing for COVID-19. They'll catch you very easily. The time before that is the time that we have to look out for. It is the setting up of the image of the beast. The form is there, but it has no power yet. It has no civil authority yet. You got to look for that time when people are starting to give Sunday more, more, what do you call it? Putting it more in the spotlight and talking to everyone around the whole world, specifically in the United States of America, to start coming to worship on a Sunday. They're not forcing you, but the Sunday movement is much more intense. Today, it's not happening. Look, there, some people might say that it is, but USA has not started to do any miracles yet. Do you see that? No one is being deceived, and no one is saying, hey, 
Let's just break down all the barriers. Let's just come to worship. That, the ecumenical movement has been going on for a while. It has been for, for many, many years already, in fact. But the Sunday movement is not as advanced as we think it to be. Okay, It's not a priority. You're not hearing it around all the churches. Okay, People are still pretty much separate to this day. But the setting up of the image, the idol in the holy place, trying to take something unholy, sun worship, and trying to replace the Sabbath with this. Holy with unholy. That is an abomination. Setting up an idol in the temple, in the sanctuary of God. Friends, when we see the setting up of the image of the beast, it's time to run. Its primary application, remember, Matthew 24, was the Roman armies that came and stood on what the Jews considered holy ground. But when does that happen today when the image of the beast is set up? And friends, if you don't understand what the image of the beast is, or you're confused by what I'm talking about, and you just understand Mark of the Beast, or if you don't understand even the Sunday law, you got to go through our salt class, our revelation class. Please contact Evelyn. It will be the best investment you ever made. I'm not going to talk about prices here, but just contact her after Sabbath. Please don't bombard her email with, with, with your, 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 your emails, okay? But just make sure that you are becoming wise unto salvation. Friends, it is at this time, it is at this time that it's time to flee, but it's not only time to flee. You know what's going to happen? Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 4. Revelation 18 verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Friends, this is a time for the loud cry to go to whole whole world. When we begin to run, we're taking the gospel with us wherever we go. We're not just running for our own safety and that's it, but we are still filled with the Holy Spirit. We're still concerned with God's word. We are still concerned with the burden of souls for those that have not heard the gospel and the message of God yet the three angels' messages. This is that time, friends, that wherever we run, just like in the book of Acts, we're going to be preaching and teaching. But friends, the question that we have today is this. What should we be doing today? What should we be doing today? Let me share with you. In Revelation 21, verse 27, Let's turn our Bibles there. Revelation 21 and verse 27. Look what the Bible says. Revelation 21, 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Do you see that word abomination? Or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, the abomination of desolation and everybody that follows them, they will not be saved at the end of time. You've got to come out of Babylon. 
I want to share with you some quotes taken from the pen of inspiration. In Review and Herald, this is what it says. Forty years afterward, at the siege of Jerusalem, the Christians obeyed this warning and not a single, not a Christian perished in the destruction of the city. You know why not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem? It's because they were watching. They were watching and watching. They took heed of the words of Christ. And then based upon what they had heard and studied and checked, they watched. They looked for the fulfillment. They didn't know when it would happen. But when they saw the Roman army standing on that holy ground, the sign was clear. You would only understand this if you were watching. And you were watching not just outwardly, but what it means from the biblical perspective. They were watching for the fulfillment of these signs. Are these signs fast fulfilling today as well? Yes. Wars, you hear of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation. You hear of what? Famine, pestilence, earthquake. These are the beginning of sorrows. If you've not been watching, friends, here is that first watch. We're living in the beginning of sorrows. We are at the end of time. It's a pandemic. Maybe you feel sorry for your money situation. Maybe you feel sorry for your job situation. Maybe you feel sorry for your educational situation because you're stuck in your room and maybe your graduation is, is delayed. Maybe your SPM for next year will be pushed back another year. You know, your entrance into colleges are, you know, it's frustrating times we're living in. But there's something that we've got to take note of. We are in the beginning of sorrows, my dear friends. We've got to watch. We've got to watch. Look what else she says. Letters and Manuscripts, Volume 4. One effort more, and then Satan's last device is employed. He hears the unceasing cry for Christ to come, for Christ to deliver them. This last strategy is to personate Christ and make them think their prayers are answered. But this answers to the last closing work, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. You know what this is talking about? The last deception of Satan when he will impersonate Christ. People are crying for the second coming, but they're crying it for the wrong reason. They're just, they're just tired of being hungry. They're just doing it for all these selfish reasons. And so when they cry out without any biblical basis, Satan answers their prayer and he comes and he deceives them. Do you see that? And they think that this is the second coming of Jesus. And this is really that abomination of desolation standing in the holy place. This is when the Antichrist and his deadly wound will be healed again. Oh, friends, we got to be watching. We got to be studying. We got to be praying. We must watch unto prayer. The signs are there. But many of us, our hearts are not moved. It's too calloused by sin. 
And so God needs something great to shake us awake. Do you see that? Many of us were not watching. We're not understanding the times that we're living in. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but friends, signs like this, we got to stop just thinking it should be unnoticed. We got to start taking serious, paying serious attention to what is happening here. And so how else can we prepare? We need the word of God. We got to pray. But what else? Maranatha 180, paragraph 2 to paragraph 7. The time is not far distant when, like the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of the nation, the United States, in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. It will then be time to leave what? The large cities, preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes in secluded places among the mountains. For years I have been given special light that we are not to center our work in the cities. The turmoil and confusion that filled these cities, the conditions brought about by the labor unions and the strikes would prove a great hindrance to our work. Men are seeking to bring those engaged in the different trades under bondage to certain unions. This is not God's planning, but the planning of a power that would in no wise acknowledge God. God's word is fulfilling. Uh, God's word is fulfilling. The wicked are binding themselves up in bundles ready to be burned. The trade unions and confederacies of the world are a snare. Keep out of them and away from them, brethren. Have nothing to do with them. Because of these unions and confederacies, it will soon be very difficult for our institutions to carry on their work in the cities. Educate our people to get out of the cities into the country where they can obtain a small piece of land and make a home for themselves and their children. Ere long, there will be such strife and confusion in the cities that those who wish to leave them will not be able. We are not to locate ourselves where we'll be forced into close relations with those who do not honor God. A crisis is soon to come in regard to the observance of Sunday. The Sunday party is strengthening itself in its false claims, and this will mean what? Oppression to those who determine to keep the Sabbath of the Lord. Friends, Ellen White is clear. It's time to get out of the cities. What am I still doing here? I'm praying, friends. I'm praying, God, show me when it's time to sell everything and get out. I desire more than anything else to get out. I have three small kids and they're rubbing shoulders with people that are ungodly every day. We're in this little condo here. You just can't help it. Do you understand that? Friends, some of us, we need to get out of the cities in haste. Others, you got to start praying. I don't, I'm not saying that you just got to pack up right now at the, at the whim of this sermon and just get out because I preach this. No, you got to start praying, friends. Saying, God, when's the right time? When do you want me to get out? When is it? We shouldn't be congregating 
in the cities. And it's tough. I know some of us work in the cities, but you got to start praying. If you don't, you'll never get out of the city. You know what I mean? We got to start praying. And you got to understand, I was, I'm a city boy. I'm kind of against getting out of the city. It's inconvenient. This is what I've known. I don't like snakes and bugs and moths and, ah, too much. I don't like all of that. But friends, we got to get out for the sake of our children, for the sake of our own characters, maybe. And I know that it's tough. Some of us, we, we, we can't understand how we can support ourselves, but we just got to start praying. God, please show me where and when. Let's start making plans. Let's, not make, let's make sure we don't run ahead of God, okay? But we've got to start making plans to get out now. After this pandemic, let's start getting out, friends. The cities are going to be destroyed first. And, you know, it's time to start taking this counsel more seriously. And it's not just running for the sake of running. There is really one ultimate goal that we have because I know that if I move out into the country, I'll probably have to stop, stop pastoring. And uh, I don't know how it's going to work out. You know, the traffic here in Malaysia is so bad in KL that just living in the city, you're already traveling 40 minutes, 30 minutes just for Bible studies and meetings. Being out in the country and gone, I wouldn't have a family life. I would not see my children and my wife, sometimes for a whole day. I don't know, we have to figure this out. But I know that if God leads, we gotta move forward. Today, we gotta start praying. Today, we gotta start taking all these counsels more seriously. But there's one counsel above all, and I'm not taught all into just running, friends, but it's our gospel commission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Friends, in running, let's not run to the country and just build a home for ourselves isolate ourselves and just wait for Jesus to come. Many might even be lost because of that. We still got to figure out a way to preach the gospel to the whole world. We still got to figure out a way to how to preach the message to the cities. We still got to be involved in the Lord's work. God is not calling you today to get out into the country just to laugh at those that are in the city because they're stuck and they can't see the sunshine and you know, they're, they're suffering in want and need. No, He's calling you out to save yourselves and your children, but He's calling you out so that you can be an even greater blessing to those that are in the cities. You know, I've not seen how people can effectively work the city from the country yet, but I, I know that we got to start doing it. I know that we start, need to start preparing today. What are the preparations that you need to make? Maybe you're disagreeing with me, as I disagreed with many people before me when they talked about country living. But at least you can start praying. God, direct us. Show us. Here's my situation and it's well nigh impossible for me to live so far out 
and to come in every day, but you got to show me. You got to direct me. You got to lead me. We got to start watching and praying today. For truly, Satan is getting ready his forces. God is giving us signs. And those that heed it will be saved at last. Friends, the setting up of the image is going to soon take place. How do I know? Because we have such situations of pandemic today. Matthew 24 is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Let's get ready. Because when the time comes that the Roman soldiers, the armies are standing there, it's time to run. It's time to flee. And so in this past couple of months, what have I been doing? What's the thrust of my messages? It's a last day events, friends. Ever since I shared with all of you about the order of last day events, I've gone back to see how I can prove every single event from the Bible. And so here it is. The abomination of desolation. The image of the beast. The Sunday law that is soon to come in. These are the real events that we should be paying attention to. Yes, I'd like to get back to normal life as soon as possible. But I hope that all of us will have drawn closer to Christ in this time and that God has shaken us awake, that we will stop living the life of Laodicea over and over again. But that truly we would be hot and in love with Christ and the Father fully. And then we can give the message a certain sound. Friends, this is my prayer for you today. This is the prayer for myself as well. That we'll keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and that we'll be watching and we're waiting and looking at those signs. For truly, God has given us those signs today to get us ready. Let's be ready today, friends. Let's take that first step towards Jesus and to all the counsel that he's been giving us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for the counsel from the pen of inspiration by Ellen White as well. Lord, we've been so blessed because you've told us you're giving us warning upon warning what is soon to take place upon this earth. Many people are going to be caught unawares, Lord. But Father, I pray that none of us would be. For today, we're going to start preparing. Today, we're going to start watching. Today, we're going to start taking you more seriously than we ever have before. So guide us to that end, O Lord. Lead us all and help us to see how you are moving and the movements that you are making towards the second coming so that we might understand our responsibility today, Lord, that none of us will be taken unawares. Father, please bless us and lead us, and please guide us is my earnest plea and prayer, that we might know what we ought to do at every day and every moment. For we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.